0: So, Shelly, in today's episode, we welcome guest hosts Elena Joy Thurston and her girlfriend, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Elena. <laughs> we met Elena at Phoenix Pride once yeah. upon a time. And Kristen. Kristen came Don't too? Don't you remember? We shared basketball in common. So, Kristen, quite a few years after me, She played basketball at one of the uh, colleges that was in the same conference where I played basketball. I was at Cochise College and she was at either Pima or Yavapai, I don't remember. Either way. We chatted. We chatted hoops for a while. Did you? Did. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I was probably handing out stickers or candy or something Likely. at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how those pride events go. Uh-huh. Stickers and candy, baby. Stickers and candy and wristbands. Yes. Yeah. But back to this episode. Go ahead. So, Elena heads up the Pride and Joy Foundation, mm-hmm. and their mission is to decrease the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ community. That's a badass mission. It is. I know. Uh, So they do talk about that. The other thing that's kind of fun about this episode is that Elena, who is a guest on many podcasts, decided to turn the tables and interview Kristen. (laughs) I know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that should be pretty fun. I think so. Should we do it? Let's get to it. Be right. right back. Hey, Latter-day
1: Lesbians and everyone else who listens to the chaos that is the Latter-day Lesbian. I'm so glad you're here. I am Elena Joy Thurston. I am the founder of the Pride and Joy Foundation, and I was a guest on Latterday day Lesbian. Mary and Shelly are some of my favorite people, and when they told us they needed to go on vacation, we were like, we got you, fam. We stepped right up. So I am so excited today because I'm going to do something that basically has never been done before, so I think that that's pretty exciting. (laughs) So I'll tell you the end of the story, and that way you know why we're here and why this is exciting. So my girlfriend and I met when I was 37, and that was part of a big catalyst of me both leaving the church, realizing my sexuality which ended up with me doing a TED Talk, which ended up with the start of this foundation, the Pride and Joy Foundation. So that is a huge part of life, obviously, and a huge part of why we get to have so much fun with Mary and Shelley. And now I get to interview my girlfriend, Kristen. So she supports me in all the interviews that I do every week. I do not have my own podcast, but I do lots of podcast interviews every week. And she has always been the most supportive person, especially because she is a huge part of the story. So she gets talked about a lot and she doesn't often get to add her voice to the story. So that's what I'm really excited to do today is ask her all these questions I've always wanted to know the answer to. And now she's kind of forced to answer because <laughs> there's a microphone in her face. <laughs> and yeah, so this is going to be my interview of my girlfriend, Kristen, and her experience with both Mormonism and sexuality and Mormonism, as well as being an instant bonus mom to my four beautiful kids. So
2: should we just get into it? Yeah. I mean, is this my vindication moment? I I think so. I think this
1: is your vindication (laughs) moment.
2: Vindication? (laughs) Excellent.
1: You know, we were both pretty much born and raised here in Arizona, and we both have differing experiences with Mormonism. And pretty much the whole world knows my story of growing up, joining the church, growing up some more, being a huge part of the church, and then eventually leaving. But No one knows your background with the Mormon church. So (laughs) what were your experiences with it as you were growing up?
2: Growing up here in Arizona, I was raised in the Catholicism faith. I'm I'm no longer practicing, much to many of my relatives' chagrin. But uh, growing up, I actually had a lot of Mormon or LDS friends, and I didn't really know what it was. I knew it was a religion. Um, I knew that they would go over to the building across the street. I knew that that was called the seminary building. And that was sort of like my first foray in high school. As I moved on to college, I met um, one of my teammates in junior college. She was originally from Snow College. Um, For any of you local Arizonans, you know that means Mormons. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, she was one of the, the most amazing, sweetest people I actually kind of miss her to this day. She was sort of like our team mom and not because she was older, but now from what I know about Mormonism, it makes a lot more sense why she was kind of mother hen with us. And she was fantastic. I, I loved her so much. So I was junior college and then I move on to to actual college and I move out to New Mexico. And again, still not really knowing what Mormonism is other than a religion. Um, I start to attend a small school out in Silver City, New Mexico. And I just start to meet a couple people, and they all happen to be Mormon. And I'm like, ah, cool, whatever, they're nice people. And I was an athlete at the time, so I was basically always hungry since I was working out, like, 24-7. And so they would take me over to the church building, and we would do lunch and learn. And I remember eating, like, Hawaiian haystacks, being like, what the hell is this crap? (laughs) (laughs) And just being like, well, they're nice people. And (laughs) they, they really are. I was just... Still, like, I remember specifically one of the lessons we were learning about was, like, contraceptives. And I was looking around at, like, the people... <laughs> I feel horrible. The people in this class, I was like, oh, these guys aren't having sex at all. Like, <laughs> they, I felt really, really bad. So that that was kind of my biggest intro into some of the more faith-based aspects of, of the religion. Later on, my, I would go on, and one of my roommates would be um, an LDS member... And, you know, we'd kind of go to, like, some church functions, and I would just go more as a supportive role, but I just remember being intensely uncomfortable the whole time. And that that's nothing against the religion, that's just me in the moment, not really enjoying faith-based activities, period, but how Mormonism was just kind of permeating my life at the time. And... <laughs> I mean, the one nice thing I will say is that the missionaries never came to our door. Like they knew I was sort of off limits. I was under the veil of protection <laughs> that I <laughs> they wouldn't like it cost me. And we did. We had I think in our complex we had a set of sister missionaries and then a set of, of elders. And yeah, they never they never hung around with us. So that was I mean, they're nice people, but like I was glad I wasn't being proselytized to on a daily basis. So but anyway, yeah. Mormonism definitely has has woven itself weirdly, intricately, and intensely into my life as I've grown up.
1: So what did you know about the people who practice Mormonism? What did you know about, like, what they wore, what they did, what they said? Like, what was
2: your impression of them socially? Bitches can bake. (laughs) 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 This is not all about the food, Kristen. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, uh, hilariously, like, honestly, my first foray, I, I know I've already used that word, but was the food. I was like, is this how they get you? Like, as, like, these <laughs> these Christmas cookies. Oh, I'm, 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 oh, might not be all that bad. <laughs> you know, like, eating. And I was like, no, no, it is. But, <laughs> no, just very, um, I, I've been in a lot of their homes, met many of their families and you know at that time I wasn't even aware of my own sexuality so I was just this being on earth so in in all intents and purposes I was a straight person just walking into their home so they you know I had no idea they had no idea so they were extremely warm and loving and kind and I was never comfortable praying even as a catholic I I was definitely not comfortable praying as a mormon but I was extremely respectful right like I came into your home you've invited me there so I was never antagonistic or any anything like that. But, oh, actually, that's how I learned how to make funeral potatoes. <laughs> well, I started to call them that because I didn't know. I was like, oh, like hash brown casserole. And they're like, oh, funeral potatoes. And I was like, my bad. <laughs> oh, didn't know they were like a solemn thing. <laughs> but yeah, food, I guess. It's horrible. <laughs>
1: I remember, like... Three weeks after we met, I finally had to admit to you via text because of the conversation that we were having. I finally had to say the words, well, I'm Mormon. And you were like, yeah, I knew that from the second I met you.
2: <laughs> How did you know? Well, apparently I have no dar, <laughs> but I have like dar. I don't know. <laughs> I had just been around enough and... Maybe it was the non-light in your eyes uh, <laughs> that gave it away. There was just something about the way kind of you held yourself and the way you spoke. I don't know. There was just sort of an essence and an aura that kind of gave it away. Oh. I, I, I mean, you, know, <laughs> I mean, you kind of <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You had a little bit of that Gilbert mom thing going on. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did.
1: <laughs> so, for everyone who doesn't know what that is, like, explain. How would you know a Gilbert
2: mom out in the wild? Oh, man. It's something so normal, right? There's just, they're seemingly, they're just like a mom. And it's not like as bad as the SNL sketch with like the mom jeans, but it's definitely, they all somehow look the same regardless of height, skin tone, or hair color, or eye color, any of that. They somehow all look and exude kind of this same vibe and it's pretty much you know just jeans flats and usually a t-shirt with some sort of scrolly text on it (laughs) and and that's kind of it if you get into the high class though they get them felt hats yeah (laughs) when you hit a different tax bracket you know it goes more linen (laughs) felt hat like a work apron i'm like you're not even doing okay (laughs) Go tend to those crafts. <laughs> to be clear, I am pro craft. I love crafting. <laughs> I'm not anti craft. <laughs> this is not
1: a political debate. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. So from there, we met when you were how old? I was 32. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the question Shelly would ask if she were here. Oh, boy. Uh huh. Which would be how many girlfriends did you have before you met me?
2: Well, since I've met Shelly and Shelly and I have a similar uh, sports ball history, if you will, it seems highly unlikely that I would have had zero girlfriends having played collegiate athletics. (laughs) But yes, I had never had a girlfriend. I dated all men. I was terrible at it. I was terrible at talking to any people.
1: You can't say that. That's literally your biggest strength, is talking to people.
2: Right? I mean, it is now. It really wasn't during college. I was I was uniquely focused. Although I was terrible at uh, at basketball, I was also uh, you know terrible at speaking to people. So no, I don't. I don't know. Something happened after after college where I actually got a little bit more of a backbone and I was able to speak more clearly and articulate my thoughts a lot better. But back to the actual question, I apologize. No, I'd never had a girlfriend. Um, I never really even thought about it. I mean, a lot of people growing up, I know thought I was gay, mostly because I did play sports. I did not dress in a traditional fashion for a female. I was very much function over form. I needed to be able to go play basketball like at a moment's notice. So I would just always be like in shorts and a t-shirt with sneakers on, just ready to go. So I probably embodied lesbianism way before I knew what it was necessarily. Like, I mean, you. I knew what it was, but like I, at that point I was, to me, a non-sexual being. So I was just like, gonna play sports, yay. <laughs> and everyone else around me was just like, so you like boys or girls? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone ask you that directly? Do
1: you have a memory of that?
2: Besides my mom? <laughs> um, yes. I remember on my junior college team, I don't know if it was naivete or ignorance or just legitimately not caring what people do in their bedrooms is that I had no idea half my teammates were gay. I accidentally, in college kind of outed two teammates, like not intentionally. I mean, technically, one was bi, But like, I was just like, man, you guys are so awesome. You're just so cool together. Like, look how you play off of each other. and you spend so much time together. And apparently, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, no one else on the team had noticed this. and I was just like, and they're both giving me like these big eyes. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, they were hooking up on like team trips and stuff. And I didn't know that. But on my, my junior college team, I remember one of my teammates had said like, hey, my friend's like really into you. Like, you know, what are your thoughts? And I was just like, I don't know. I assumed it was a guy because, hey, gender roles. But it turned out to be this girl. And I was like, oh, no, thank you so very much. I mean, it, as, as weird as it was, I, I do feel like I handled it well. And, and you no, know, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't care what people do in their bedrooms, but I was just like, Oh no, thank you. Thank you. Cause I never even thought about it. Right. Like again, I wasn't a sexual being. I was a dutiful athlete. You know, I was, I was there to do a job. I wasn't there to actually live a human existence apparently. <laughs> yeah. So no, no girlfriends. One teammate asked, I think everyone, ap- apparently after I came out, everyone was like,
1: duh. And I was like, eh, shut up. That's a question that's asked me a lot. What happened when you came out? So let me pose that question to you, Kristen. What happened when you came out?
2: I would say people that were my true friends were supportive, but many of them were also like, yeah, we already knew. Or like, I remember I was having lunch. Oh, she was Mormon. One of my best friends at work. <laughs> She's Mormon. And I went out and she had um, left because she was starting to have kids and her husband was, you know, able to support them. And so we had met up to have lunch one day. And I was like, yeah, so I'm kind of seeing this girl. And she's like, good for you. And I was like, I know that might come as a shock. She's like, no. Wait, did you not know? Oh, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. She's like, yeah. I was like, whatever. I thought you were getting... No, I didn't. Dang it. <laughs> like, like I said, the, the people that that really care you know, have been, have been very supportive, but in the same breath, it's been really frustrating because I feel like so many people in my past, like assumed I was gay and it's weird to like prove people right for something that shouldn't matter. And I, and that, that actually was like really something difficult to get through because I guess I never thought I was anything. Right straight, gay, bi, or anything. Like, I just assumed I was like this asexual being because I was attracted to nobody. Like, I would go on dates and we had fun, but it was never like, this is what I want to do and this is who I want to be. So for people to, you know, A, pretend like they knew the whole time or say that they knew or like, be like, ha ha, called it. And be like, oh, that's not an appropriate response. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Because how did that make you feel? So horrible, right? Like, because you're, you think you're not living, quote, your true life. Yeah. I mean, I guess bottom line hurtful. And I I understand that it's not intentional, but you know, that, that doesn't mean that those, those feelings, it's, it's not a, it's such a loaded statement, right?
1: I agree. I've often explained it and I'm so glad to have, I'm not glad that you had to experience it, but I am glad that I got to witness what that was like because it really clarified for me When you're coming out for the first time, I mean, we all know we have to come out every day for our entire lives, right? But when you're coming out for the first time, it's actually not about telling the world, here's this part of me that no one knew existed before. Like, we're not trying to pretend it's a surprise. We're trying to say, there's this part of me and I am being vulnerable and sharing it with you. That's what's happening. Not you know, here's this enlightened part of me. It is, I am sharing vulnerable information with you. How are you going to react to it? And you saying, yeah, I called it. That's not affirming and it's not positive. It's dismissive of the vulnerability that I'm giving you.
2: Yeah, I see that now, right? Like, because in the moment I was just like, well, that sucks. But I think those are really good words you just put to it that it does feel dismissive. Like you're saying, it's it's not that I'm I'm saying these words for you to find me a partner. I'm not looking for you to, to do anything for me, um, other than to listen to the words that I have to say. Because in today's society and today's family structures, like it's not something that's easy to just say because there's so many strings attached. You know, there's there's family, there's friends, there's all those kinds of things. So it's it's a high risk, potentially high reward situation. Um, but it's mostly just high risk, high risk situation to, to have to come out, not have to come out, but to come out, period, and to people you you think you trust. So I feel like this begs the question,
1: like now that we've heard a little bit about how your community responded to you when you came out, what was it like or did it happen? Do you feel like it happened when
2: you came out to yourself? I don't know if I've actually fully come out to myself. I think I'm <laughs> I am the classic self-discipline person. And I don't mean that in a, I'm, I mean, I am regimented and things like that, but I'm going to punish myself more than anyone else ever could for anything, even if there's nothing wrong with it, which obviously there's nothing wrong with being gay, but I'm going to stress about it because of all the implications, right? Because of all the things that are going to happen with potential friends and family and stuff like that. So, You know, I may not have fully come out to myself. In effect, it's not been easy. That's an interesting question. How big of our relationship do
1: you think Mormonism kind of played into how we related to one another and how our relationship developed? Was Mormonism a character
2: in that play? (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. You could not do anything on Sundays, (laughs) (laughs) which is such BS because I was working a pretty strict job in some corporate accounting so i was having really ridiculous busy season hours and <laughs> sunday uh, that would be like my free day and i'd be like you want to go fish you want to do this and you're like no i can't no i can't i'm like oh yeah family nonsense and church and whatnot and you know I, I knew mormons were extremely devout in observing the sabbath and things of that nature and honestly, I think it's one of the reasons my Mormon roommate back in the day kept me around was because I could go do the grocery shopping on Sunday. <laughs> like, oh, crap. We need sugar. Oh, I'll go get it. I guess I, <laughs> I knew how to kind of navigate those waters. Yeah. I knew your restrictions. So it was different, though. Previously, I was dealing with single Mormons. And those single Mormons you know they might go to singles wards, but they weren't tied down to families with children or you know bigger callings other than you know just something simple in the the younger wards so so that part that part was different, but I understood at bare minimum kind of some of the inner workings and and new it, honestly it mostly came down to time, like you had zero time to do anything ever. It was really interesting. I mean, we had plenty of time to talk, right? Because you would, you would have your kids and we'd be able to text and stuff like that. But like you had Boy Scouts, you had young women. You were basically at church like all day Sunday. It wasn't just like, here's your requisite three hours which, oh, I'm sorry. That is, that is way too long. No, like even Catholic church, like an hour and a half and it's like up, down, up, down, knees, crack, you know? And I'm like, oh gosh, like that's too much. Like I'd rather go do an actual workout, Um, but three hours is just, that's just ridiculous. So yeah, you were just very constrained on time, obviously beliefs. I'd be like, oh my gosh, did you see the episode of South Park? Uh, Because by the time we had met there, you know. America was a garbage fire already. Don't want to make it political. But, I mean, there were just hilarious episodes of, like, certain TV shows. She's like, I, I, I can't watch that. And I'd be like, what? What about this movie? I, I've never seen that. It's only PG-13. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, Kiss or something? Like, <laughs> So it was really interesting because now what I know about Mormonism, you know, free agency, etc., etc. You were basically free to use your time as they told you which was very interesting, like I said, given the alleged free agency you were supposed to have. Well,
1: that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't thought about, how much our time is dictated. All right, so I have to ask, was there a point that you realized I was attracted to? Because here other people had brought up like, oh, my friend is kind of interested. Might she be your type? And you were like, no, not even interested. So here we are at you at age 33, 10 years later. At what point was it clear that I was interested in you?
2: While, like, my general gaydar is (laughs) broke, I could definitely tell fairly early on that you were at least very invested in, like, the things that I said and how I said them. And, like, you were very cognizant of, you know, how I was feeling. And there was just this general vibe. Uh, I mean, anybody that's met you knows that your face is basically a canvas. <laughs> can we clarify?
1: Kristen's not talking about makeup here. She's oh, thinking yeah. about how
2: much, how expressive
1: my ridiculous she face has is.
2: An expressive face. Like, I can read every little eyebrow crinkle and, you know, nose scrunch and be like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think true to her, her current Mormon standards, you know, she was extremely effervescent and I think you were conditioned to listen to people. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think like you're conditioned to listen to people. So, and you've only heard kind of the same narrative for like the longest time. So whenever I would say something like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, not necessarily exactly like that, but I was like, I'm not sure you understand that correctly. You know, I almost feel like you were kind of like thirsting for different perspectives. I think initially you were just attracted to kind of like the idea of me, right? I think that's such like a cliche thing to do. You're in love with the idea of being in love, Uh, but uh, I think kind of what I represented to you outside of Mormonism. We went on a, a fishing trip, and the the air within that room was literally just electric, and any any small spark you know, could have started a fire. It was it was insane. You were just like, let me show you these pictures. And like, you're like draping yourself over me. And you're like snuggling up. I was like, this is like a four person couch. And I was just like, what is she doing? And I was like, so up to that point, I had never really been around. I'll say that I don't have a lot of female friends. And that's not because like I'm a bitch. Maybe I am. I don't know. Um, so I wasn't sure if this is kind of how women interact. And then before anybody goes, she manipulated you. No, no, no. That That's not what is happening. It was just sort of like interesting for me to watch it play out. Finally understanding like, oh, this is what's happening. So,
1: Okay, now we know that you recognized what was happening, but at what point were you like, yeah, and I'm into
2: this. This is good. We were at a high school production of Seven Brads for Seven Brothers. And we were sitting in these bleachers and I mean, growing up playing sports ball, I'm no stranger to bleachers, but they hurt my freaking butt and my back because I'm old and ridiculous now. And so I'm trying to like be- get comfortable and it's just kind of like killing me. And and she's just to my left and she's bouncing her leg. You know how you do when you're just kind of like sitting and you're bored or you like test anxiety? You just bounce, 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 bouncing your leg. And it was shaking the whole row. It was actually making me nauseous for whatever reason. I think I felt like there was like horrible ventilation and there's like a butt ton. Of, this is pre-COVID, by the way. There's a ton of people in there. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And so she's bouncing her knee. And I'm just like, for the love. And I reach over and I just put my hand on her leg to just get her to cease. <laughs> and I remember putting my hand on her leg and just feeling like, Sparks and like electricity just like up through my body. And I was like, what the crap? Because it was something so benign, right? Just to get you to kind of calm down a little bit. And I realized at the time now, I was probably just trying to comfort you. A, I wanted to not throw up, but B, I was trying to like make sure you were okay. And I think that was like communicated even just through the simple touch. That's really kind of what like started it but also freaked me out. <laughs> I mean so everybody knows your story already, but it was still very difficult in my mind knowing that you were married. Like I don't ever take lightly the fact that that you were married. I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive myself for that aspect of it. I don't think that part scared me nearly as much. I know that seems so contrary to like kind of my attitude going forward because up until that point I have absolutely been like love is love. You know, I might not have identified as being gay or lesbian or whatever, but I definitely didn't care, like, what other people did in their bedroom. Like, like, that's your life, man. It's not affecting me. So, you know, there's just so, so many (laughs) good feeling chemicals going on in the brain that I was like, who knows? (laughs) Whatever. Sure, love is love. (laughs) Had you felt that before? Was it reminiscent of anything? I don't think so. Have I mentioned? I don't think I've ever felt that before. I don't think I've mentioned even, and I'm not saying that to hide anything, but I don't don't think so. It was unique to you and that situation and us and kind of everything that we were going through at the moment. So no, I've I've not ever experienced any (laughs) earth splitting, you know, lightning up through my body. (laughs) (laughs)
1: This is probably a good time for a commercial break. Mary and Shelley told us we have to build in a commercial break. And so I have no idea what's coming next. But here's your commercial break, guys. I know that at one point you decided, I've got to figure out this Mormonism thing. And you kind of started like your own research and you kind of started figuring things out for yourself. So I want to know like what prompted that and then how did that go?
2: So when I had my Mormon roommate, I was curious because I just didn't really understand. And I was wondering if like, if I were to just, I guess, understand it, maybe I could understand like this person and like this whole other, (laughs) this whole other, (laughs) like, because it just didn't make sense to me and not in a negative way. It was just like, huh, like a head tilt, huh? And so, at that time, I was like, hey, can I borrow, like, a Book of Mormon? And I literally, <laughs> I did not make it far. There were too many the vows. <laughs> I was just like, untold unto thee, unto, unto this, unto that. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> And I, I was about to just do a Jim Gaffigan joke where, like, I'm Catholic. I don't have to read the Bible. <laughs> but, like, I'd read enough of the Bible. Like, not a ton, but enough that I was just like, okay, so this is, very similar, you know, a lot of flowery verbiage. At that point, I was like, it's religion. I was like, I'm good. And so it came around to meeting you. And when you decided that you, were, you, weren't, you weren't anywhere close to leaving the church, but you were in the middle of a divorce and we had kind of discussed religion. And if it came down to being with you and having to go to church like I would suck it up and do it, you know? Like that's how like in love with you I was, how much I wanted to support you and be with you and all those kinds of things. And I started to do some research and I instantly noped the fuck out of that. (laughs) I read the CES letter and I've read so much. I've just read a lot, you know, of various histories. I've read, I mean, the church produced websites, you know, the apologetics, like all the approved sources. I've read a lot of those too. I won't say all of them because that's, you know, I, there was a point where I decided it wasn't a waste of my time, but it was a very toxic way to use my time. And because it would just make me really, really angry, not that you were forced to believe or anything like that, but the way that like you as a woman we're being treated, we're going to be treated, and eventually the, quote, consequences on your children for being gay, right? So I was infuriated by that, and I would go to, you know, Reddit's not for everybody. I will fully declare that, but I did find the Exmo Reddit sub, and by and large, I actually found it extremely comforting in the way that people... Would respond to big questions about folks, you know, either coming out or, you know, having faith crisis within their families and things like that. But then other things would come up, you know, oh, this Mormon bishop is a sexual predator, like all these kinds of things. And that's around that time is when I found Sam Young and he was really, really um, amping up the Protect LDS Children. It was really difficult to have to let you make a decision. At that point, I was definitely like, if we stay together, I will not be able to go and support this church. For so many different reasons. You know, anachronisms, historicity aside, like the way that they're treating people in present day, I, I was not in agreement with. So I was in my head I was just like, okay, <laughs> if we if we stay together, like I'm not going to be able to support you in this. And that hurt because I really wanted to be able to support you in all facets. So I had to sit back and I had to kind of let you come to these decisions. And I remember I remember very specifically, we we're in the car, we were driving home, and you were like, So I found <laughs> I found this guy, his name is Sam Young, and in my head I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing I'm like doing like a fist bump like yes 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 like in my head that's what I'm doing but I'm like be cool be cool be cool and I'm like oh really who why whoever is this Sam Young gentleman and you're like well he has this thing called protect LDS children and I was like yes and, and, and I think right in there and I think not too long after that you talked about how you kind of felt like this clunk And it kind of hurt my heart to have to watch that, right, for you to realize you're not super worried about, like, the doctrine, all the inaccuracies and all the hypocrisy and all that kind of stuff, because (laughs) Mormon's going to morm, right? Like, just as much as a political sign isn't going to change somebody's mind on the side of the road, you know, you talking about this to a Mormon isn't going to change their mind unless they want it to be changed. So I think you're more progression-focused, So you're not too worried about like uh, just a whole bunch of stuff doing all my own research and kind of going down that rabbit hole. Like I can only imagine, you know, how you're feeling that all this time of your life, you're probably like, this has been just a sham. It's been wasted. But again, like you didn't worry too much about the historicity you were looking forward. But then I, when I'm on like the Exmo subreddit, you know, these poor people whose lives are just completely destroyed just by not believing anymore. There are documented things that cannot be overlooked, that, that are make it completely okay to not believe. I guess to watch you have to make that decision on your own, for me to have to sit tight-lipped with all the things that I knew, going on to the Exmo subreddit and just literally driving myself crazy to the point where my, my therapist is like, you need to not be on this anymore. But it was also sort of a lifeline in that I knew kind of what bullshit was coming on the pipeline next. You know, the the bishop, you know, was it in South America that had kind of like his little sex dungeon and all that kind of stuff was just coming out. And, you know, I'm watching all this stuff play out and I was just, uh, it was just disgusting. And, but it became like obsessive because I felt like I needed to protect you. Or if you came to me with questions, I needed to have answers. So that was a really long-winded answer. I'm sorry.
1: No, I've never heard all of that before. Mm. And I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the story is that you had that knowledge. You had done that research and you didn't throw it all in my face. And it's interesting because I am now in that position as a mom. Now I have all that knowledge. And here I have these kids who have this testimony that is important to them. And recognizing I can't shove that in their face, just like if Kristen had done that to me, it would not have ended well. Same in this situation with my kids. And I think there are many, 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 many days that it's because of your example that I don't shove that information in their face because I hate that they're being lied to. I hate that they're being deceived. And yet all I can do is stand there with my hand open saying, I'm here when you're ready just like you did for
2: me. Yeah, that's, I mean, second only to watching you go through it is now having to, I won't say shepherd the children through it, but it must, I think it might even be more me shepherding myself through it. Like having the self-control to let them make choices. And the problem is, is they're not actually making these choices for themselves. We wholly support like the children wanting to go to church and and wanting to engage in any activities that are church-based and church-related, I just don't appreciate when it doesn't actually originate from them, right? They're still so young and still so impressionable that even though you can quote, make the choice to get baptized at eight bullshit, uh, you know, you are not making choices for yourself at 12. Yeah. And so to watch them, It's not even Navigate. I think they're just so confused. And they're 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 16-year-olds, you know, and 10-year-olds. They don't have a lot of real-world experience. And that sounds so cocky coming from an adult. But it's very interesting to watch them interact with peers that are Mm non-LDS.
1: Like our nephew
2: Seth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I have this nephew because no one else in my family are Mormon. And so my sister's son was not raised Mormon. And he's like he's literally in between my kids in such a way that he could be my fifth child. And he's an only child. So he's been very much a part of my family since the moment he was born and yet raised so differently. And he's a different kid than my kids. Like, you can really tell that, yes, he's seen a lot more of the world than they have.
2: He's a unique individual. I love him. He is extremely thoughtful because he's had so many different experiences, right? Like, he's learned to use his brain for true compassion. Whereas I feel like your kids are, like, conditioned to feel like they already are good people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there's the the righteousness of, well, we are Mormon. We're already a good person.
1: Right.
2: And, you know, I can't tell you the last time the kids have done a service project or helped anyone in need. Um, That's also our fault. Like we just, you know, (laughs) like I'm not, I'm not putting that all on the church, but like, you know, the activities they go do, like if, you know, the 12 year old goes to young women's activity, they did yoga. (laughs) Like what the hell? (laughs) But yeah there he, your nephew is a just a much more thoughtful person, to the point that it's a cognitive process. It's like a muscle in the brain that your kids don't have, and I'm not saying that they're bad kids, no. but they use their brains differently because they think this one specific thing,
1: yeah,
2: and they are amazing children, they're sweet children. It's just really interesting to watch them interact with the world. they're gregarious, they have social interactions, but they're all in the bubble. And so there are just so many things that they don't know or understand. And it's really interesting. It's interesting to watch, but it's also very, very hard because, again, they're young teenagers, young adolescents, but to watch them pick and choose from their faith yeah, and the hypocrisy in that is really, really frustrating because if if we as a gay couple are this these bad people, right? We're supposed to be apostates, we're bad, we're setting a bad example, we're ruining the families. And yet, <laughs> you know, whether they're testing their boundaries, they don't have to test their boundaries with us yeah. because we don't give a shit. <laughs> we we literally just had this discussion with the youngest the other day about saying fuck because, you know, she's Molly mormoning it and she's using frick. Oh my gosh! And The ten-year-old that is playing video games and saying "Frick you, man! Frick you!" Frick this what the frick? And I'm like, okay, we gotta stop this. You sound illiterate. Like yes! you, you actually sound stupid. <laughs> and it's really frustrating because I know what they're trying to do. I had a, I forgot actually that my coach was Mormon in, in my last college, and he. <laughs> You know, cheese and rice, like all that kind of. um, Cheese and rice. Shoot, what's the? When you're trying to say Jesus Christ, and you're like, yeah, he's like cheese and rice. I'm like, oh wow, okay. You know, all this self policing that you do to not say a bad word, and we had this conversation with the ten year old about like, it's just a word. It only has the power you give it. And we told her like, we would actually rather you say the word, say fuck. It it's just an exclamatory word, you know. We want you to use whatever words you want until you use them in a poignant, like directed attack on people. Right? I said when you go, ah, fuck. I said that's fine, but when you say fuck you, that's where we stop, right? Because that's a direct attack. And she's like, I'm confused. All right, let's start over from the top. (laughs) One, two, three, four. And so we went back over it. You know, I say all these things, and it sounds like I'm complaining about them, and I and I'm not. I, I completely understand the juxtaposition that they've been put in, right? Like they are now living with us 50-50. They come over and see, you know, we do this at our household and we go back to daddy's house and we do this. Like I can't begrudge them that juxtaposition because that's that's horrible. But <laughs> to feel like you have to do something because God will get mad at you, or a priesthood holder in your home will get mad at you if you don't do this, if you don't go to church, if you consume a certain hot beverage you know things like that it's just it's really frustrating especially when you know they're kind of receiving mixed messages whatever anyway i won't get into that (laughs) that's a whole nother that's a whole episode mixed messages brought to you by mormonism (laughs) that'll that'll be next year shelly and mary (laughs) Yeah. whenever your next vacation is yeah oh boy this is probably a good time for commercial break here's your commercial break guys So I've been
1: thinking a lot lately about just the realization that the partners who hurt people are very small in percentage. Like I think of the men that assault women, it's only like 8% of the population or something does 80% of the crimes, right? And so thinking about how there's so many men who are partners to women who are survivors and that kind of makes them co-survivors, like they have an intense experience of being the partner of someone who's healing. And I feel like with my faith transition, you've kind of, even though you had no background, essentially with Mormonism, you're kind of a co-survivor of my faith crisis.
0: Hmm.
1: Like you have to be there. You have to help me process. You have to watch the triggers when they happen.
2: How has that been for you? Hard, (laughs) Yeah. In, in, in the simplest of terms, difficult not having been indoctrinated into that particular religion, to Mormonism or I mean, to, to any of them, really, right? Like, had you been Jehovah's Witness, had you been Baptist, like you know, there's different levels for for every different type of of religion. So I think this is actually more of a universal yeah. question slash answer. It is very very difficult because I can't, unfortunately. In the moment of a trigger, you know, logical and rational thinking has has been thrown out the window. And, And that's not to say that your partner is dumb and that they're irrational or that they have zero logic. It's just that they have been trapped by the box, by the prism of their religion around this particular thing, whatever it might be. And you almost can't help them. Right. Like you, the only thing you can do is be supportive as they work through it themselves, because no matter what you say, you know, other than being supportive, you know, like I said, logic and reason are not on the forefront. Yeah, it's not helpful to yeah, not helpful approach to it with logic. Exactly. I'm like, well, hey, that's a stupid fucking scripture. Like, it doesn't like I can't say that. <laughs> I'm like, well, that makes zero sense. That's not helpful. There's no way to say any of those things and have it be helpful. So it's been it's been it's been very difficult. And there are things that are like, I think, so deeply ingrained in you that I don't even know about yet, you know, that are kind of left still to be triggered. It's almost like you're having to purge it. And it just as it comes, you know, but there's just things that something happened the other day and I'm not trying to like throw you under the bus for this that triggered you. And I would have never thought like in a million years, I'm like, what the hell? But like once you were able to work through it and then we could talk about it, I was like, Okay, like I can see the connections. Like there is somehow logic in it, but just not from the outside. Yeah. So, I mean, if I were to have to give advice and I didn't ask for it, so here it is unsolicited.
1: Well, that was going to be my next question is (laughs) like,
2: if you could talk to the you of a year
1: ago or two years ago, like what advice would you give Kristen of then to get through the next few years of? faith triggers.
2: There's more coming. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Um take a deep breath and breathe and realize that it's not about you as the partner. You know, we when people ask about a relationship, I'm always like the timeline's sketchy. Like cuz I'm just like I don't want to talk about it. I am so in love with her like it, it, that part doesn't really matter, but that it's not about you as the partner, it's about something that you have no idea how it just randomly affected them. It could have been something as simple as, like, a young woman's lesson she was teaching to, you know, her group. And now, six or seven years later, she sees this person getting married in the church. And then I'm like, okay, like, who gives a shit, right? Like, you're out, you've saved yourself, you know, you're working towards... But then I understand that it is like, you taught some pretty shitty things, no offense. You taught some pretty shitty things to like these kids and these young girls to then watch them get married off to these priesthood holders that are potentially going to treat them like shit and they probably will because of these rules, because yeah. of these doctrine, you know like all that kind of stuff. So take a deep breath, take a step back, understand that you're not in trouble as the partner. It's not about you. Just be there and be supportive. Don't try to fix it. That's not gonna help. Just be there to listen, depending on your partner, asking questions may or may not be helpful. Um in our situation, it's super not helpful. It makes me think just
1: to wrap up this topic is I wrote an article recently about how, in my parenting, I often feel like I'm fighting against the ghost of my past, like I have raised my kids a certain way, and now. I am different, but they're not releasing that identity that I raised them with. And so I'm often in my parenting fighting against my ghost. And I'm realizing as you talk that it's often, it could be that you're fighting against my ghost, like things that I did, like lessons that I taught and beliefs that I held and ways that I treated people are affecting our present day reality. And you're having to deal with
2: that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at that, but I sorry, it made me think of there's um, a pretty common post on the, the Exmo subreddit about like, sorry for the things I said when I was Mormon, yeah. you know, and there's always there's always some gems in there, I guess, more specific to the kids, too. Like we've been having recent trouble with a 12 year old. Actually, we this will be the first time you're hearing this because we haven't had a chance to talk about it, you know, saying, I don't want to live here anymore. And so we're trying to figure that out and trying to understand what it is. And and really, she's just being a 12-year-old and playing the system. But she and I, the 12-year-old, sat down and had a conversation. And I was saying that, I think you're stuck. She's like, what do you mean? I said, I think you're stuck in that you don't understand that your mom has grown. And she was like, I don't get it. I was like, clearly. Uh, (laughs) And I said, all right, so when you are growing up, what would happen if... You did something bad or something you weren't supposed to do. What would mom do? Would mom... And she said she'd get really angry. She would yell and those kinds of things. And I said, yeah, okay. So mom was really, really angry. Did you think she was a bad mom? No, but she was really strict. I said, okay, well, now let's look over here at new mom. Is new mom a better mom? She's like, it's not better or worse. It's just different. I said, exactly. And I was like, new mom over here... Isn't going to blow up in your face. And I think you're pushing buttons to specifically get your mom back to that point. And she stops. And I said, I think you really need to give your mom a chance because you are waiting for her to blow up and you are trying to trigger her to blow up. The 12 year old actually sat back and was like, Oh my gosh, you're right. That's exactly what I'm doing. And I was like, I'm not trying to sit here and like place blame on anybody, but I just want you to realize that your mom has worked very, very, very hard to, I didn't say fix herself, but you know, to be more cognizant of her own feelings and how her reactions to you guys may have been hurtful in the past. And I know she has told me, and I know that she is very, very sorry for any times that she may have hurt you in the past, you know, with flying off the handle about something and the 12 year old walked away with that and was just like whoa and we've had I think a lot better almost night and day interactions kind of since that so yeah I think that the kids are trying to get back to familiar quote familiar with you and especially the 12 year old so she was push 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 pushing to try and find the mom she remembered not because it was a better mom. Yeah. It's just what she knew. Yeah. yeah.
1: How did you feel when our oldest went off to BYU? Oh, boy. Because <laughs> I'm looking back and realizing it was all about me. It was all about me and my reaction. And I didn't give you space to have your own reaction
2: to that. I think there's something inherently dangerous about... I'm just going to have to phrase it this way, but it's, it's not meant as, a, as an offense to you. I think there's something inherently dangerous about raising a kid in a way that, like, makes BYU the only option. If you're on the East Coast, you're like, my dad is a North Carolina alumni. I have to go there, I have to go there, I have to go there. But that is just a standard school, right? That's not a faith-based school. Mm-hmm. So I think when when BYU has been turned into a Mecca, I think that's that's actually really dangerous. There's a lot of pressure put on kids to go to BYU. And there's a huge percentage of Mormons that don't get in and they're almost like shamed just for not getting in. So then you have to go to the the sad lesser than BYU Idaho, <laughs> you know, then people are like, well, I guess I'll just go there to get my gen eds, Which fine if it's cheaper, but like but the the goal is always BYU, BYU, BYU. Yeah. It's never about and I'm not saying BYU has a Bad education. I I don't know. Whatever. But when you become so, like, idolatrous about BYU, I think that really kind of messes with kids' heads. And, like, I'm glad he theoretically made the choice for himself. I won't say I think he would have been happier at a different school, but I think that he had more strong feelings about a different school. I think it would have let him be independent in a different way right? Mm -hmm. At BYU, it's, you're independent to an extent, right? Like, because the church is always there. You're always in a ward. You're always going to get a calling, you know, not always, but it's an atmosphere in and of itself, separate completely, even from like your home ward. It's completely insular, unfortunately. At the end of the day, I'm super proud of him, like period, for kind of even taking the leap. I was a little worried that, you know, he was Not going to. Yep. So I think
1: we'll just wrap up with. I'm going to kind of quiz you a little bit, like a flash quiz on Mormon culture and history. Oh no. We'll see how much you know. Okay, go. Who is
2: Porter Rockwell? Norman Rockwell's brother. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that one. Okay. He was Brigham Young's bodyguard. You're fine.
1: (laughs) Um. What does FHE stand for? Family Home Evening. Very good. What in Young Women's, what used to be Young Women's, the age group of the 14 and 15-year-olds, what's the name? The the laurels? No.
2: Oh. Oh, is laurels the ones before? No, the laurels are the oldest. Oh. Sunbeams are the littlest ones. Those are the four-year-olds, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: the first one is beehives, and the next one is always the one that I messed up, and that was my maids.
2: I've never heard that one. Really?
1: Beehives? For, yeah, I've heard for of that. The Yeah. And then Maya Maids and then Laurels. Maya Maids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How many
2: piercings can a Mormon have? <laughs> Preferably zero. <laughs> uh, one in each year, no more. Got it. Who is the current president? Do I have to give the full no. name? No. Rusty. Who is
1: his wife? <laughs>
2: Which one? <laughs> <laughs> are we talking about in the living world? Yes, in the living world. I don't know her freaking name. She's hooking up with the other chick, though. <laughs> okay, for real.
1: So, Wendy's, Wendy Watson yes. is his new wife that yes, he had it. to marry because you have to be married when you're the prophet or in any kind of presidency. So, okay, as many of us that are my age, I'm 41, and when we were young adult Mormons, Sherry Dew was like, <laughs> that's where the sun rose and set. Like she was just the most incredible woman. She was an incredible speaker. She was in the Relief Society presidency and she was the CEO of Deseret Book. And she wrote all of the prophets memoirs. Like she was the shit, even though that's not how we talk, right? And so realizing now I'm in my forties and looking back at her and realizing, oh my gosh, she's such a lesbian. (laughs) And thinking maybe, maybe I don't have it right. And so I I remember like two years ago showing you a picture of Sherry Dew from when I was like in my 20s and it was her heyday. And you were like, yeah, she's a lesbian. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. So we are just so happy to be a part of this awesome community and... Part of the community that is Mary and Shelley and the Latter-day Lesbians and and the post-Mormons that have evolved and are now looking and learning and progressing and moving on. And it's just very cool.
2: Yeah. And even people who aren't, you know, Mormon or ex-Mormon and just being able to support people going through any faith transitions or crises or anything like that. Or just if you have morbid curiosity, welcome. (laughs) So, yeah,
1: so the last thing we'll say is just what we do is the Pride and Joy Foundation, and our mission is to decrease the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ community. And how we do that is by teaching self awareness to the LGBTQ community and the allies that love them. And we have an incredible online support group. It's on Facebook. Just look up Pride and Joy Community. We would love to have you. It is a place for both queer parents with presumably straight kids like us as well as straight parents who have queer kids that have come out to them, as well as the allies that have beloved people, often their grandparents or aunts and uncles or teachers, who have someone that's really important to them who's come out and they're realizing, I have no idea how to be a strong ally. And that's what we do. We provide that support so you can ask those questions and get involved that way. And we do lots of awesome, amazing things in the Pride and Joy community. And we would love to have you, awesome, incredible people, to be there as well.
2: So thank you, Mary and Shelley, for this awesome opportunity. This was great. It was great. But can I have the last word? Yes, you can. Yes sherry do 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 sherry do 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 sherry do 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 sherry do rusty nelson you can just fade that out okay bye okay bye